Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director of the Center for Understanding in Conflict. And I, my guest today is Wendy Paris. She's the author of Splitopia, Dispatches from Today's Good Divorce and How to Part Well. That was published in March of 2016. And she is an essayist and author. And her articles and essays have been published in numerous publications, The New York Times, Psychology Today, The New York Observer, The Guardian, Washington Post, so on and so on. I could go on, Wendy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I thought it might be really interesting for our listeners to start with your story. What led you to write Splitopia and what was your experience and what was the trajectory of the experience? You know, I write a little bit about this in my book. I had written about weddings for years. I worked as a journalist in New York City and a lot of the work I got was for wedding magazines. And I had written about honeymoons. I'd gone on 20 honeymoons, you know, by myself or with other travel writers, but I had never written about divorce. My parents were divorced when I was five, and it's something that had been in my life forever. So I was married and living in New York, and, you know, I married a great guy, but we did not have a great marriage, and I complained about it a lot, and it was pretty clear the ways in which we were incompatible, and it kind of went on and on. And so, as I, as I write in my book, when I announced, when we announced to our friends that we were going to do a trial separation, I thought they would say, you know, good for you. Finally, you're doing something about it. You've been complaining for years. You know, they bring over champagne and chocolate truffles. And, you know, I know it's the end of a marriage, but I, it was, you know, it was not working. And, and this was not the feedback I got. And this was in New York in this, you know, rather liberal crowd. And, you know, the feedback I got was something. It was like, you're going to be miserable. You guys are getting along good now, but this is the honeymoon phase of divorce. It's going to get worse. Your child will be destroyed. You'll be too destitute to work. One of my friends said, maybe you're just unhappy in your career. And another friend said, I know a number of single women your age, and they have been unable to meet someone new. This could happen to you. You know, it was all this like doom and gloom. And when my parents divorced in uh, 1973, I didn't have the experience that my friends were describing. My parents didn't hate each other. I didn't hate either of my parents. I, you know, had a good home life. I just, I I was like, where is this coming from? So I started to do some research and uh, I realized that our fears of divorce are claimed from facts of an earlier era, for one thing, before no-fault divorce, when the only way to get divorced was to go to court and publicly accuse your spouse of some heinous crime like a felony or adultery or hitting you before no fault, you had no other way to get out of your marriage. And in the 70s, when my parents divorced, it was very common for the mom to have sole custody and the father to become like a weekend visitor or an every other weekend visitor. And this is not the case anymore. You know, every state authorizes joint custody. This doesn't mean, you know, the children have to go back and forth, but it does mean there's an expectation that What's in the best interest of the child is that is that both parents will be involved. So kids don't lose contact with their fathers the way they used to do. Fathers don't lose contact with their kids nearly as often. You can get divorced because you're miserable like we were without, you know, having to prove that your partner is horrible. Women work, which was not the case in the past. 
We live in a society where half the adults in many major cities are single. So, you know, being a single adult doesn't have the stigma that it used to. Your kids aren't going to be the only child and, you know, the only children in the classroom that with divorced parents is a very different era. So my friends were, were reacting to the facts of an earlier era and they were reacting to what we see in the news. You know, now, like in the last two years, we're starting to see things like Gwyneth Paltrow talking about conscious uncoupling. But when I started my book in 2012, if I Googled divorce, what came up were the most expensive divorce, celebrity divorces in history, you know, the ugliest divorces you can imagine. And there's a lot of reporting about the bad divorces and, you know, much less conversation about the decent divorces. And then there's a lot of bias. You know, these pro-marriage pundits will often conflate stats on single moms, for example, with divorced moms. Single moms are among the poorest people in our country because half of single moms are adolescents. So when you talk about a single mom, you may be talking about a high school girl, you know, trying to raise a child on her own. That is a very different story than two professionals in their 40s who decide to get divorced. So all this stuff sort of swirls around and makes us overly fearful about divorce and overly angry. It sounds like partly what you're saying is despite a much more modern actual life that we lead, or at least your friends, and I think this is my experience and the experience of my clients as well, our emotional reaction to divorce or the idea of divorce is rooted decades and decades ago. Yes, it's rooted decades and decades ago. And Americans, you know, one of the scholars in my book talks about marriage is more fraught in the United States than anywhere else. We valorize marriage. We glamorize marriage. We aspire to be married. And we also valorize independence and self-actualization and becoming all you can be. And so we have these, in the United States, we have these opposing kind of ideologies. And I don't even mean politically. I just mean, you know, in our own home. So some of it is like, no, we want the marriage to work for good reason. You know, I want marriages to work too. But there is also that. There's it's marriage is we you know we we pin our hopes on it and divorce is laden with with a history of negativity and a disappointment and you know if you get divorced what does that say about me you know there's a lot of you know fantasy about marriage and romance that we don't want disrupted. So you did this research and you discovered this big disconnect between the life you were leading and the reaction you were getting to the news. And you did all this research, and is that what inspired you to write the book? So I started with this, like, you know, it was a couple of things. Yeah, I started with, I started doing some research and, you know, talking to people. And then I met a woman. My son was going to a little kind of Waldorf school class in the East Village in Manhattan. And I met a woman there who was traveling to France with her ex-husband and their daughter for the summer. And I guess we had started talking about divorce or before we started talking about divorce. And I was like, wait a minute. You can get divorced and still travel with your ex. Like, where do I sign up? Like, I, you know, I didn't want to boot my husband out of my life, but I didn't want to have the marriage we had. So, you know, I met her and I started doing some research. We said, okay, we're doing a trial separation. I, you know, talked to more people and I was walking around saying, okay, I'm doing a divorce project. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do something about this. You know, I don't know what it's going to be. And then, you know, I'll just, I'll just tell you personally, I, I, I didn't have a job at the time. And I applied for a job at Huffington Post writing about weddings and divorce. And I was like, I am the perfect candidate. I've written about weddings for years. I've written a book about weddings. I'm getting divorced. Everyone in my family's divorced. You know, surely I'll get this job. And the job was based in L.A., but the editor came into New York. And I had to do a writing test. And I did all these, you know, writing samples, these blog posts about divorce. And it turned out she wanted somebody in L.A. 
And at the time, this had been a point of contention between my husband and me. I'd wanted him to go to LA and he refused. And so they wound up hiring somebody who lived in LA and I didn't get the job. But I felt like I still want to write about divorce. You know, I'm really interested in this. And I've been doing this research and I did these blog posts and I don't want Huffington Post to own divorce. And so a friend of mine who had been divorced, who's, I, I, I witnessed how bad his divorce was. And, you know, he's an author and we were talking about it. And he was saying, I think you can write a book about it. I think you can do it. You know, I believe in you. Why don't you, you know, take this interest, take this research and write a book proposal. And so that's what I did. And, you know, I've been a writer, I've been an author, so it wasn't a huge stretch for me, but I had never done a book like this, which has, you know, took me three years to write. It has a huge amount of research, and I interviewed like 200 people. And I also was every night at home doing kind of free writing, just, you know, on my computer, writing down like you would in a in a journal, you know, what happened today? And then I would sort of say, you know, is this happening to other people? I, I, had, a, I had a health crisis uh, in the middle of this, and I'd already sold the book and I had a health crisis and I was talking to my editor and she said, you know, I think this is common in divorce. And I, I spoke to a lawyer in D.C. who said 99% of my clients have some kind of health crisis. They lose too much weight or they're not sleeping or, you know, I actually wound up in the hospital. And so now I have it. He was like, okay, there needs to be a chapter on, I called it hurricane, you know, on the, on, on the crisis when crisis hits. So that's sort of, you know, how it evolved and it became the project I was working on as I, you know, as I went through the first few difficult years of divorce. This is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. This is a program here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester on WVOX.com from 5 to 530 every other Wednesday. And today I'm talking with Wendy Paris, the author of Splitopia, about her journey to find a good divorce and to write about it. So Wendy, what was the biggest surprise for you in fashioning a good divorce with your ex-husband? You know, I'll say two things. You know, it's a great question. The biggest surprise, I want to answer the biggest surprise for me in researching the book, because I thought there was just a dearth of good ideas out there. And it turns out there are great ideas about how to do this collaboratively, right? I mean, people like you have, you know, years of experience, you know, how do we do mediation? How do we do collaborative force? And then I also was interviewing psychologists and positive psychologists and child development experts. And we know conflict is what's most damaging to kids. We know how do you encourage post-traumatic growth if your divorce is traumatic? What are some good coping techniques? How do we harness our strengths? How do we boost our resilience? This information is out there. There's a huge gap between the information and people who are facing divorce. So this was the biggest surprise to me in the sort of divorce project, that that there are great ideas and people just aren't having access to them. The biggest surprise to me in my own divorce, personally, I guess I would say two. One is that it was harder than I thought. My husband got a girlfriend right away and it completely flipped me out. And I, I was so you know, sick of him in our marriage. I was not expecting to have that reaction. I'm not a jealous person. So it was very, very surprising. And I assumed he'd be single forever because a big source of conflict was I wanted a very intimate relationship and his idea of intimacy, you know, is quite different than mine and felt, you know, I felt like he'd be happier by himself. So I was, you know, surprised by how difficult that was. And then the other thing that surprised me is despite that, my divorce is a lot better than I thought it would be. Like, I really like him now. And I really have started to loathe him when we were married. And I wasn't expecting that. I was not, you know, working on this website, and he's been helping me with it. And we, we I just decided I really wanted to pull our son out of the public school and send him to a, a little private school because uh, he was having trouble in the public school. And 
you know, my ex-husband is on board for that. He's, he's paying for it. He, you know, I felt like he was kind of a workaholic when we were married and I wanted more, you know, time with the family. But now that I'm divorced, it's great that he's a workaholic. It means he can pay for private school, you know. I, so I'm surprised that I actually really like this man who I just so unhappy with. Wow, that's a lot. Let me go back to what you said was your biggest <laughs> surprise when writing the book, because okay. I am on a mission to change how people divorce and to help them divorce with dignity. And, you know, that's a challenge. And I think one of the biggest challenges is to get the, the possibility of that to the ears of somebody facing divorce early enough for it to make a difference. Because I think, Wendy, that many people really yearn to have a transition that isn't going to be easy, but that makes sense to them and to restructure their families in a way, as you have, that really support the co-parenting relationship and raises healthy kids. I mean, let's face it, there's no one else other than the other parent of our children who's ever going to feel anywhere near as proud of them as we do. And to be able to share that with that person is really a wonderful opportunity. Oh, I totally agree. And I mean, I'm so glad you're on this mission. I don't know. It drives me crazy. People don't get this information. And you're totally right. And I, I'll say several things. One is, I, you know, I'm trying to say to people, you can start a collaborative process. You can always go adversarial if it doesn't work. But if you start adversarial, right, you may not be able to back up from that. And I, you know, I encourage people to slow down on the legal process. Like we didn't make it legal for a couple of years. We just moved apart and I was, you know, I didn't have a job. I was nervous. And I think I just wanted to get more confident and comfortable living alone before having discussions about stuff and money. And I think people, they just get hurled into this and they get really bad advice. And I think the reason is one reason is when you're thinking about getting married, you know, you probably go to the bookstore and look at bride magazine and you look at these pretty photos and housewares. And, you know, there's a lot of aspirational planning. But nobody wants to know anything about divorce until it is upon them, right? So you come to this with almost no information. And then, you know, your friends who don't know what they're talking about will rush in and say, oh, you've got to use my lawyer. Yes, I had a horrible divorce. I spent $350,000. It was the worst time in my life. I have a great lawyer. You have to go this route. And people just get swept up into this adversarial process before they've had time to stop and say, okay, I actually love this person enough to marry him. Let me slow down. Let's think about you know, our family as a, as a unit, you know, it's a system and we've got to restructure it without the marriage part. And how do we do that in a way that means we'll both do really well? Yeah, I think, Wendy Paris, that people have are really worried about being vulnerable and looking bad and feeling bad. And so mm -hmm. it's very hard. It, it's very shameful. I think it's still, mm -hmm. even though statistically speaking, half of our marriages end in divorce. It's still something that there people feel a lot of shame about. And so it's hard to do the kind of research that you would do. And it's certainly hard to feel good about, you know, comparing this pattern of China to that pattern. Right. So, right. No, I think you're right. I think that, and you know, and I'm trying to fight against that shame. And, you know, I talk about this a lot in, in my book. And, you know, it's understandable that divorce was such a terrible thing in the past when, you know, women basically had no ability to support themselves without a marriage. You know, you weren't even considered as a person. You were, you know, there's this, you were part of your husband, you know, from much of, of human history. But, and, you know, and religions had a position against divorce, but this is, you know, we're living in a different time. And so I'm wanting to say, you know, let's model people who have really good lives after the marriage expired. You know, let's try to step back from that shame and, 
I write about one of my principles of hurting is commit to self-compassion. And one piece of self-compassion is see the universality of your experience. And I think one way to maybe help people get past the shame is to recognize that, you know, 2 million people divorce in the United States every year. The numbers are rising around the country. We're living longer. We have a lot of pressures on us. And people divorce from all walks of life, all parts of the country, you know, all political parties. It isn't like, you know, whatever one terrible thing you think you did wrong, there's somebody else who lived their marriage in exactly the opposite way and is still getting divorced. You know, it isn't some unique personal failing. It's a, it's, 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 you know, we're part of a, we're part of a society. We, we're, we don't have great education about marriage. We often don't choose right. What we want changes. There's so many reasons the marriages end and what you have control over is what you do next. Yeah. I think that the idea of, of divorce equaling failure is a misnomer and it's a misunderstanding. Margaret Mead said when she was asked how it felt to have three marriages that failed, she said, I had no marriages that failed. I had three marriages that came to their natural ending. Yeah. It's like, you know, my husband is really saying, you know, let's look at, the, at this as a success that has run its course. You know, because at one point I was like, oh, what if our friends are right and I'm going to wind up alone with my party poodle and, you know, it's just me and the dog, you know, and, you know, the flip side is, you know, maybe it's a failure and, and that's also okay. You know, we, we fail at a lot of things. I mean, I agree with you, right? Let's say this is a success that has run its course. Who says a marriage is only a success if it lasts for 70 years? You know, maybe that's, maybe this was a beautiful relationship for a, you know, a, a time limited period. And, you know, when I talk about wanting a different word than ex-husband, like we were able to say my high school girlfriend, you know, <laughs> and we don't think it's a failure that the high school girlfriend didn't become your wife, we understand that it was a relationship that worked at a time and a place. And, you know, I agree with you. Let's let's try to be more expansive about marriage and about our relationships. And the relationship can continue, not as a marriage. And I also, but I also do think the, the, the other side of it is true, too. There's all these books coming out from Silicon Valley about the upside of failure and the benefits of failure. And you got to try and fail in order to succeed. And so, you know, yeah, we had an idea of how our lives were going to be. And you know, it didn't work out that way. And, and that's, I think that's real life. This is Catherine Miller. This is Dialogue on Divorce. And I'm talking today with Wendy Paris, the author of Splitopia. And Wendy, you just spoke a few minutes ago about one of your principles. I think you have some more and there. You write about them in your book. So why don't you give us a little bit of information about the book, about the principles and where people can get more information? Great. So my book is called Splitopia, and it is available, you know, on Amazon online. It should be in your bookstore. And if it's not in your bookstore, please tell the, you know, the bookseller that you want, you want them to order it. It's been a few years writing it. It's published by Simon and Schuster, a division of Simon and Schuster called Atria. And it looks at my own trajectory from separation to divorce. It looks at my, my parents' divorce. And, you know, interestingly enough, my mother got divorced from my stepfather shortly before I, I, I split up from my husband. She had been married to my stepfather for 35 years. And so my mom and my dad were single at the same time. So there's this whole piece in my book of, are my mom and my dad going to get back together? And you know, still kind of wanting that. I had a you know, very nice experience with my mom and my dad having a type of reconciliation. So the book follows, you know, has these personal stories and then, I interviewed 200 people and positive post-marriage relationships about, you know, how did you do it? What did you do well? It has a lot of information from the family law reform movement, which you're part of, 
you know, let's talk about, you know, we call it alternative dispute resolution, but I don't think it should be alternative. I think this should be standard. You know, let's try mediation. Let's try collaborative divorce. Let's try to work together. And then has a lot of research from psychologists and positive psychologists on um, strengths and thriving and resilience. So I came up with these seven principles of parking in my chapter two, and I came up with them from, you know, from these years of putting all this stuff together. You know, what do we know about the law? What do we know about psychology? What do people say? And the one that I mentioned was my principle number one, which is commit to self-compassion. Yeah, I think that's super important. And because without, yes. without it, how can you possibly have compassion for anyone else? I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And then uh, I was so interested in this because there was a study done at the University of Arizona where they were trying to say, you know, of all the various traits and factors, what leads to positive post-divorce recuperation, like positive recuperation? And, you know, is it the length of time you were married or is it self-esteem? And and what they came up with was that self-compassion was the most important trait in recuperating from divorce. Self-compassion is a a Buddhist idea. It comes from Buddhism, and it has three parts. And one part is this, what I mentioned earlier, to see the universality of your experience. You know, you really want to understand that you're not the only person whose marriage has ended. You're not the only person who had a, a vision for life and maybe didn't follow, follow that. And because it's true, right, because suffering is part of the human condition, and because feeling like you're the only one who's ever had a tough time distances you at a time you're already probably feeling lonely and you know, off center. So you want to recognize that this is this is part of the human experience. This is not some unique failing. Uh, another part of self compassion. My first principle of parting is to practice mindfulness. And we talk about mindfulness in divorce, meaning you know, being in the moment, as we all know. So it's easy when you're getting divorced to feel like this is the only thing that's happening, and to have this kind of constant rumination. And you want to be able to put that down and go on and do other things. Or if you're having breakfast with your children, be with your children, you know, not rehearsing a, a fight you want to pick later in the day. And mindfulness and divorce also means being aware of your feelings, you know, being present to them rather than running from them or, you know, drinking them away. So practice mindfulness is part of self-compassion. And then the third part of self-compassion is view yourself with understanding and forgiveness. And there's really a tendency in divorce to be you know, incredibly harsh and, you know, I'm such a failure, I'm such a loser, or I criticize my husband too much, or I work too much, or whatever it is. And those, you know, what research shows is that those kind of harsh words that we use on ourselves cause our body to respond as if to a physical threat. You know, we, we tense up, we have this, we release cortisol, we have this fight or flight reaction and, you know, prolonged this can lead to real health problems and, you know, make it harder for you to deal with the real challenges of divorce. So I talk about this view yourself with understanding and forgiveness and that we all know how to treat a friend going through a difficult time, but we often speak to ourselves the way we would speak to an enemy and and, and we don't even realize it. The self-compassion is really about trying to step away from that negative language, understand you're not the only one, view yourself with understanding and forgiveness and try to um, be aware of your feelings but not let them overwhelm you or totally define you. You know, Wendy, it sounds so easy and so obvious, but I think it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Do you help people in the book sort of give them exercises as to how to find that space? 
you know, I really want to do a workshop, and we've been talking a lot about doing an online course where we could, you know, we could do these exercises. I talk about a couple in my book, specifically for self-compassion. There's this exercise uh, where you write yourself a compassionate letter, like the way you would to a friend. You know, so you sit down and you say, you know, dear Catherine, I, you know, I know, or, you know, dear Wendy, I know it's four years since you're divorced and you still haven't found someone. And, you know, I know this is really hard. And, and, and then try to, you know, how, what would you, what would you say to yourself if you were a friend? So I tried this exercise and uh, recently, you know, I had a lot of resistance to it. And I, I'd be curious if, you know, if you have listeners who do it, if they, if they find that, like I had a lot of resistance to making the time to sit down and write myself a letter not even like telling myself how great I am, just trying to be really like loving toward myself. I found it really difficult. So, you know, that was interesting to me. That's what I mean. Um, it sounds so simple and it's obviously yeah. true, but it's really, really hard to do, to make that space to treat yourself with that kind of compassion that you would for a close friend. I know. It's like, oh, then I'm not, you know, taking responsibility or then I'm not owning up. Or something. It's, it's really interesting. There's a, I, I talk about Kristen Neff is a is a researcher at University of Texas, and she has a website, selfcompassion.org. And a book. And, she wrote a good book about uh, it, too, and she has a lot of exercises in there. She has a lot of exercises, yeah. So, you know, it might be good. That's a place people could go. You can certainly go to my website, latopia.com. We have a whole section on coping and thriving, and there's a lot of ideas there. And, you know, I will be putting up some kind of course, and I do coaching or counseling or consulting, not counseling, but consulting about this Um and then I would say uh, Christy Neff's site is, a, is another good one, selfcompassion.org. Super. Wendy Paris, thank you so much for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. I really appreciate your time today. It's been great. Oh, thank you.